You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So glad we're all here together today. You'll hear uh, at the end of the service, you'll hear about our Christmas Eve service that's happening a week from uh, today, but I want to encourage you to invite folks that might not come to church otherwise, sometimes willing to come to church on a Christmas Eve. So don't be shy to invite someone. I encourage you to do that. Last week, I was gone along with James Garcia. We were in Ecuador uh, connecting with Claudio, our church planting partner in Ecuador, and we had a really good trip. We kind of, I think, established a bit of a vision for the future in terms of our involvement in Ecuador, and uh, plug for the family meeting that you'll also be hearing about or have already heard about. We're going to give more details about that um, at the family meeting on January 14th, so please come and hear about our vision for the future in Ecuador. We're really looking forward to it. Well, we are focusing on Advent in the last few weeks. Houston, I know, did a great job. Um, preaching last week, uh, heard it was a little chilly in, in the room, um, and so we have the HVAC fixed, and thanks to Scott um, Welch, yeah, give it up. Scott Welch and, and Sean Vandermillen, and here she is, Jackie, yes, give it up for her. Jackie uh, takes care of all things that need to be taken care of, She's, uh, she glosses herself the church lady. And um, she does a great job uh, handling details, and Sean and Scott as well. Super thankful for them. Um, so HVAC fixed, warm in here. We can be thankful for that. And we're continuing in Advent and anticipating um, the return, or not the return, the first coming of Jesus to earth. And in that, we also, in this Christmas time, anticipate the return. And so um, we're going to look at that this morning a little bit more as we look at a really classic Christmas text. So if you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And we're going to work our way through this. Verse 26 says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I think it's interesting that um, we've been preaching through the life of David. We've been preaching through Hebrews. And in Hebrews, in the life of David, there's kind of a collision from what's happening in this text. You have talk of angels. And we've just been learning about how should we think about angels. We've we've got talk here of the house of David and what significance that has for the Messiah. That's mentioned here. I just wanted to notice that. I just want us to notice that right from the outset. Like in the past... When I haven't been studying the life of David or studying the book of Hebrews, I read through this and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. 
like Gabriel, angels, line of David, whatever. Now I, I would hope as, as Christians that have been receiving the preaching of God's word the last few weeks, months, that those words kind of have more meaning for us. Just want to say that from the outset. I know there's a lot of parents in the room and uh, lots of parents of small children. And have any of you guys experienced your kids having like a horrible night terror? Like not just crying, yep, not just crying, but this is like a different type of mom, dad, I'm scared. This happened in our family, and thankfully it only happened once, but I'll never forget it. Um, you know, and as, as young parents, you're used to your kids crying in the middle of the night. And you kind of know, like, what those cries sound like. Like, oh, this kind of cry is, they're just going to roll over, find their binky, and go back to sleep. This kind of cry is, I'm sick. This kind of cry is, I'm hungry, right? And so you just kind of learn that as parents. It's pretty routine when your kids cry in the middle of the night. Well, about 17 years ago, in the middle of the night, I heard my daughter Autumn just like scream in a way that we've never heard in the middle of the night. Um, so much so that like I'm not even thinking, I'm just reacting. Like there's screaming like there's a stegosaurus in my room. Or like the boogeyman actually exists and he showed up. Like I'm not thinking, I'm just reacting. You just jump out of bed, you sprint upstairs. Like what is going on kind of reaction as a dad. And I get up there, and she's standing by the side of her bed. I still see it in my mind. You know, it's one of those moments that you never forget. In her little purple nightgown, she's like three, tiny little thing. And she's standing by the side of her bed, eyes open, just like rigid and just screaming. It was so weird. And she's not like present, but just screaming. And it really freaked me out. I've never seen anything like it. Um, our kids wake up all the time in the middle of the night. Well, not anymore because they're in high school and we can't drag them out of bed. But back then, back then they wake up all the time, right? You guys know how that works. And this was just far exceeding the daddy I had a bad dream kind of scenario. It really freaked me out. Never happened again. Thankful for that. Thank you, Autumn, for that. Uh, so, what, so what did I do? I immediately walk over. I grab her. I pick her up. I hold her close. And what do I say? I say, daddy's right here. Like, I'm, I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. Daddy's right here. I, what did I do? I assured her of my presence. I reminded her of that. It's, it's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. So why did I do that? The point is, as any parent knows, that my presence, the reminding her of my presence is meant to do what? It's meant to be a comfort in the midst of fear. My presence is meant to be a comfort in the midst of fear. And that's exactly what happens in this classic kind of Christmas text right out of the gate. You see this simple statement. Look at verse 28. The angel shows up. He says, greetings, O favored one. And there it is. The presence of God. He tells her, the Lord is with you. Like, like I said to Autumn, Daddy's right here. 
The Lord is with you. I am with you. So, so the angel shows up, and obviously when angels show up, it's supernatural. And for those of us who, in, in one sense, don't exist in the supernatural at all times, Mary knew, obviously, something really wild and out of the ordinary is happening. It wasn't like the UPS man showing up at Mary's house. Like, well, why would I say that? Well, look at what the Bible says about her reaction. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, when the Bible says she was greatly troubled, see that in verse 29? Like, I don't get greatly troubled when the UPS man shows up at our house. Like, my dog does, for sure. But, but greatly troubled is just Bible speak for she was kind of freaking out. This is a, a really, really kind of traumatic event. And that's consistent in the rest of the Bible when angels show up. It's like she was having a night terror. She was awake. And this is real life. And the angel, he picks up on this, right, as a messenger of God, a gracious God. And look at what what he says, verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angels, look at how he he said, he said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. First thing he says is, the Lord is with you. The second thing he says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. Like normally, if this were happening to you with an angel showing up, you would have much reason to be afraid. But like we've already talked about in our series in Hebrews in reference to angels, just read any any account of angels showing up in the Bible, the unmitigated presence of God or his messengers is a terrifying thing. His supernatural messengers are are terrifying, but who is our God? He loves to comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that he is the God of all comfort. And the angel comforts as this God's messenger and says, the Lord is with you. Mary, it's okay. The Lord is with you. I'm not here to harm you. I'm here to bless you, be comforted. The Lord is with you. So if, the implication is this, if the Lord is with you, then what? Who am I to fear? Right? That always is the biblical message. If God is with you, Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Great question. If God is with you, who am I to fear? But then look at what else he says in verse 30. Don't be afraid because God is showing you his favor. He says it first. He says, oh, favored one. See that in verse, 20, in, uh, in verse 28? And then he says it again at the end of verse 30. Look at it. He says it twice. You have found favor. You have been favored by the God of the universe. He has He has selected you uniquely in his sovereign choice. So then the question becomes, how is that favor going to manifest itself? 
And that's what the angel tells her. Look at, look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now we read this Christmas text every single year, and it's just like virgin birth, whatever, right? Or she gets pregnant. Like, yeah, duh, it's Christmas. But this is serious news. Pregnancy is always like really serious news, right? You're going to be parents. This is a game changer. My dad always used to say getting married is easy. Having kids, that's life change. <clears throat> I remember when, when Kim and I found out that we were pregnant with our firstborn. And Kim goes to the bathroom, takes the test, leaves the, the test on the, on the sink you got to leave, give it a little time, and give it a minute or two. She leaves it in there. I don't know why we didn't walk in there together, but for whatever reason, I walked in there by myself to check it out. And there's that little straight line that turns into a plus, and then it's just like this thing descends on you, like just, like, oh, boy. Like, this is, like, it's on now, you know? Like, this is real. Um, things are going to change in a significant way. So pregnancy just on its own is a really big deal. It's weighty, has gravitas, right? But think about what, what Mary's going through. Like put your, try to put yourself in her shoes here. First, you have the supernatural encounter, and that alone would just blow her mind with, with God's messenger. <clears throat> Second, you hear from this supernatural messenger that you're going to be pregnant. That's a pretty big deal. There's another human being growing inside of you. So it takes about two seconds to be staggered by, by that one. But it doesn't stop there. Third, you're going to be pregnant, but not in the normal sexual way, but through a miracle of God himself, him just declaring that it will be and it is. And then, finally, she hears how this baby, told by a supernatural angel, you're pregnant, not in the normal way. And then he goes even farther and says, let me tell you about this kid. Verse 32. Look at 32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now we know from our study in the life of David, this angel, this language, line of David, throne forever, that's Messiah language. And ancient Jewish people would have known that. So don't miss that. But think about how unique this is for Mary. The first time she ever hears this. Like, my kids are cool, I love my kids, they're special, but my kids are not this special. Imagine hearing that your child would grow up to be president of the United States. Like, that'd be, that'd be pretty significant. That would be heavy news, but the angel goes about a million steps further. Can you imagine hearing what Mary heard here? Yeah, your kid is going to reign and his kingdom will have no end. Eternal kingdom. Just like, uh, I, 
I don't even know what that means. Like, she might just be like, I, I can't process all this right now. So it's no big surprise that Mary would object a little bit. You put yourself in her shoes. Those four things that we just rattled off that she's hearing, like from a human perspective, absolutely impossible. No question about it. But look at how she responds, or better yet, uh, objects. Look at verse um, 34. So great question, Mary. Logical. Logical question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she objects here to God's word. She objects here to the promise of God. But do you blame her? It's like, sorry, Mr. Angel, that's not how things really work. Like, I know how babies are born. Like, that's not how this works. It's impossible, and it is. It is impossible. So point number one is the Lord is with Mary. She has no reason to fear. And point number two that we should see here is that Christmas is impossible. Like the things that this angel is declaring as a messenger of God's word, of God's promise, these are impossible things. A few years ago, I was um, at a bar and I was just studying um, some things that I was teaching for a course that we have called Thrive. And I was just reading the material, having a glass of wine. Um, And this guy next to me was just kind of looking over my shoulder, looking at what I was reading. I had my Bible there, I think. And, and he, he asked what I was reading, so I explained to him that I was a pastor and I'm teaching this discipleship course or whatever I said. And, and he just said, you mean you believe this stuff? He calls the bartender over and he's like, you, you believe in like a, a capital C creator, like one maker of all that there is? And I don't even remember what I said. We got into a long conversation but I do remember thinking, like, man, what I, what I should have said was, yeah, I totally believe that. And check out all the other crazy stuff I believe. <laughs> like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified by the Romans. And that one day he will return to make all things right of all the things that are wrong in this world. That this Savior of the world, exclusively Jesus, that he was born of a virgin? That Christianity in general is impossible. Christmas is impossible. It's always been about the impossible. Think of all the impossibilities in the Bible. I just rattled off a few of them. There's a really poignant scene about the impossibility of things in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, that I I love to reflect on. This guy comes up to Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? It's in Luke 18. And Jesus says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, he knew this guy's heart. He's pushing on his idols. He says, and he only says this to this guy. He doesn't show up in other places. In other places, he has different context for people's lives, and he addresses truth about himself in different ways. But with this guy, he says, here's what I want you to do. He's testing him. Sell all you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the Bible says this guy went away sad because he was very wealthy. 
And Jesus says, essentially, paraphrase, a rich person like all of us here in the room, going to heaven is like, humanly speaking, trying to shove a huge camel through this tiny little eye of a needle. That's what he said. And his disciples heard this. And they were kind of blown away, like, whoa. And they say, who can be saved then? And Jesus replies, again, paraphrase. He says, basically, if you leave God out of the question, then of course it's impossible. But if you put God in the equation, he's quite skilled with camels and eyes of needles. That's not a problem for him. If you declare with just your word, let there be light, and there was light. If you can do that, like camels and eyes of needles, that's no problem. But you have to have God in the equation. And that's the same sentiment we find in our text for today. That's what the angel says to Mary. He says, Mary, you've got to put God in the equation. Look at the God-centeredness of his response. Look at verse 35. So she objects, verse 34, and then here's how he responds. And the angel answered her. Look at the God-centeredness, how he puts God in the equation. He says, the Holy Spirit, God, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, God, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. Here it is again. For nothing will be impossible with God. Of course Christmas is impossible. Everybody knows that. But God can do whatever he wants, right? Verse 37, we should memorize that. Nothing's impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God, verse 37. Psalm 115 says it differently. He says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 115, verse 3. So let's not fool ourselves. Christmas has always been, it jumps off the page here. Mary sees it. She, she's like, this is impossible. And Christmas has always been about the impossible. So what does that mean? It means that Christmas is always about a war of belief. A war of belief. And you see that war in Mary's heart in this text, right? How can this be? Like how, how can what God is saying, how can I trust that? How can I treasure that? I think Mary felt that war of belief. Is this real? Is God able to do it? Can he do what he said he's going to do? But in, 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 the, in the war of belief, in, in the war of these questions, look at how she responds. It's so instructive for us. Look at verse 38. It's how the account kind of wraps up, and it's a great kind of point or period on the sentence of this account. It's a great punchline to this account. Verse 38, and Mary said, look at her posture. Behold, meaning like look, take notice. I am the servant of the Lord. 
So that's, that's the identity she's embracing. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice two things about her response. Number one, I'm willing to be a servant. I'm the servant of the Lord. It's not me and my preferences. It's not me at the center of the universe. It's not me and my feelings. I'm willing to be a servant to God. And number two, I'm willing to believe God's word. Let it be so. Let it be to me according to your word. She doesn't say, I'll just hang out here and see, you know, maybe, maybe not. No, it's let it be to me according to your word. So, so can we not relate to Mary's experience here? In some ways, her immediate experience is not reproducible in any sense. Happened once, won't ever happen again. But can we not relate to the emotions that we see in this text? Like, we, we see the promises of God according to his word in the scriptures. Not the same ones that Mary received, but, but promises that are just as impossible. Like, people from every tribe and tongue will be Christians at the end of all time. How's that going to happen? That one day all the injustices of our world will somehow be made right. The injustices far off and the injustices that you feel this morning in your heart. All of that will be made right someday. Like that's, just, that's impossible as far as I'm concerned. I can't pull that off. You can't pull that off. The Bible says it's a promise. That somehow Romans 8, 28, all things work together for my good. Well, there's a lot of things that I can't see right now that are horrible and not good at all, and God's promises somehow, that's going to all work together for good. That sounds pretty impossible. Like, can God really do the impossible? Will his promises come true? That's what she's wrestling with in this text. We wrestle with it too. God's word or his promises, it lands on us. Sometimes it sounds really crazy, pretty impossible. Like, yeah, like, welcome to Christianity. That's Christianity. That's the Christian life right there. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Like, if you roll out of bed every morning, feet hit the floor, and you said that verse, that's a great way to start your, start your day. I'm the servant. This is who I am. I'm the servant of the Lord. Whatever's in your word, whatever your promises, may it be so. Will I serve God or will I serve myself? Will I listen and believe God's word or will I listen to the lies and the idolatries in my own brain and go that way? So this is, but this isn't just a, a message about like, hey, let's all try to be just like Mary. Because for most of us, her response is kind of challenging. I know it is for me. We're in the midst of the struggle. 
We're in the midst of this war of belief. And what's really cool is that Jesus ran into people like that in his ministry. Check out, check out the narrative that we find in Mark 9. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But it has a lot of overlapping themes, and we're going we're gonna to close with this this morning. The context is a man and a, uh, and a demon-possessed boy. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked for his father. He's got parenting here. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, look at, look at what he says, all things are possible. Another way to say it, just how Mary heard it, nothing is impossible with God. He says, all things are possible for one who believes, for one who trusts God's word. Verse 24, immediately, great response, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love that phrase, help my unbelief. See, a lot of us, we don't relate to Mary as much as we relate to this guy, right? And here's the deal. Many of you can simply pray that simple prayer to the Lord just like this guy did, maybe even right now, you're caught up in possibilities, it feels overwhelming, and you can cry out to him just like this guy. Just help. Help me. Help my unbelief. That's just a beautifully raw prayer that Jesus receives. He doesn't shame the guy for praying that way. I think God loves that prayer. It's just acknowledging I'm weak and I need help. My belief is weak. I need help. God, would you help me? It's not, God, I'm weak and I need help. And here's, God, what I'm going to do to figure it all out on my own. And here's the nine steps and the 45 prayers and the Bible reading plan and all this stuff. Oh, that's good. But just raw, simple, Lord, I need help. Would you help me? So for all those this Christmas having a hard time believing Know that the Bible has a category for you too. Just ask. Just ask him to help you. Like, Lord, I don't feel able to respond like Mary. Would you help my unbelief? God loves to show that he's the God of the impossible. It's from beginning to end of the scriptures. So just as a father who holds a, a daughter with a night terror, as we fight the war of belief and ask God to help our unbelief and live in the struggle of all the individual impossibilities in our lives, be, be reminded God is with us. That's the message. That's Christmas. We're going to expand on that a week from today at Christmas Eve. God is with us. We're not alone. You're not alone. 
That's some of the best news in the world, is it not? That we're not ultimately alienated. I think so many of us, apart from Christ, just feel this ache of alienation. Like, why do I exist? What am I here for? Do we live in a cold, careless universe? I'm just a cosmic accident, which ultimately means I'm alone. Everyone's going to die eventually. And God's word rushes into that scenario from beginning to end and says, the presence of God is possible. You can receive it. You can embrace it. See the cross and the empty tomb as the ultimate example of God's presence in the world today. But it started in a manger. It started with this promise to Mary. The presence of God is with you as you believe the gospel and become a Christian. You can know that he is for you and not against you. So we repent of our sin. We turn to the Savior. We turn from lies and idolatries and turn to the truth. And we treasure it. We trust it. So that one day, death will not be the final answer. And just as Jesus was raised to new life in his resurrection 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, real time, space, history, we too will raise to eternal life. Death will not be the final answer. God, who overcomes all the impossibilities of Christmas, is with us in Jesus by the power of his spirit. And one day, all the impossibilities will be seen as possible. That's the promise we lean into. That's the promise we yearn for. And it all started here in this text with Mary. The Savior's coming, Mary, and you have a role to play in this, Mary. And this promise to Mary one day because of Jesus will find its final resolution in the new heavens and the new earth. And that resolution will solve all the impossibilities of our individual lives. And hear me now, God is with us in the meantime. This is the message of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us believe? We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, I pray that that prayer would um, deeply resonate with us this morning and that we trust and treasure these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.